Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show of My Great Aunt Edna, the leadership show that focuses on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today's special guest is David Stillman. David is a generational expert, consultant, and international speaker. You'll hear from David on how he utilizes his strategies to help organizations better connect and have better business results. Enough said. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the leadership show called My Great Aunt Edna, the leadership show that focuses on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today we have a special guest, Mr. David Stillman. And David is a generational expert and internationally acclaimed keynote speaker, author, and consultant. For almost 25 years, he has been called on by business executives, politicians, and the media to share his expertise on how best to bridge generational gaps between boomers, Xers, millennials, and now Gen Z. David is a co-author of three best-selling books, including When Generations Collide and The M Factor, How the Millennial Generation is Rocking the Workplace. His latest book, Gen Z at Work, was co-authored with his Gen Z son, Jonah. David has appeared on CNN, CNBC, the Today Show, and NPR, as well as featured in Fast Company, The New York Times, USA Today, and The Wall Street Journal, and now My Great Aunt Edna Podcast. The Business Journal named David as one of 200 people to watch, and he was also awarded as one of the, the Power 50 in his home state of Minnesota. Success Magazine named David as one of the top 25 most influential speakers of the decade. And that last piece is why I'm so intrigued to have him on the show. Uh, so, David, welcome to the show, and thank you for being a part of my great on Edna. Well, thank you, Mac. I'm really honored to be here, truly. And, you know, to be a part of Aunt Edna's legacy, that's pretty cool. And I've loved following your work as well. So I think this is going to be an exciting conversation. Thank you, David. So, you know, I'm a little... Curious. I know a little bit about you and, you know, what you're about, where you've come from. But, you know, enlighten the, the, the listeners out there. Tell them a little bit more about yourself, you know, what you do, what inspires you. So I have one of those people, just a niche career that's been focusing on generational differences. So, as you mentioned, the, the differences and we started with baby boomers. But when I got into this, there was even a generation, you know, in full force in our workforce, the traditionalists. Right. There's a silent generation baby boomers, uh, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. And what I love is, you know, it really is a form of diversity, no different than, you know, we look at race, ethnicity, gender, all these different things. But what's been so wonderful about the generations topic, it's a little bit easier to talk about. A lot of those other mm -hmm. forms of diversity are laden with a lot of political correctness. Right, right. And I find about generational differences, we don't have a lot of that. And so it really opens up the door for many um, diversity and inclusion conversations, of which generations is just one of them. But the nice thing about generational differences, it really does apply to everyone because everyone's a member of a generation. And right. Every generation has 
unique events and conditions that shape them that result in a generational personality. And, you know, we don't become more alike as we age, we become more entrenched in these generational personalities. And so that's what really excites me about this topic that I've dedicated my career to. So that's interesting. And before I even get into my formal questions, you've already, you know, got me interested in, in what you're talking about. And one of the things you mentioned is that one is that it's not as sensitive as some of the other diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives that we talk about. Um, but two, I love when you said at the very end of that, that you become more entrenched in it the older you get. Uh, and I'm finding that out myself, you know, the older I get, I'm not going to throw my age out there, but um, I can sense it myself. So <laughs> it, it, with those two things and thinking about those two things that I just mentioned, like how does that influence how you approach the conversation with multiple generations? Well, it's interesting because a lot of people will say to me, you know, we've got a brand new generation, for example, Gen Z coming onto the scene. And I've had so many executives say to me, you know, like, I'm going to wait to get to know them. Mm -hmm. What they're trying to say to me, Mac, is I'm going to wait till they become a little bit more like me. Mm -hmm. And the thing to realize is that I've, because I've studied this for so long, is we all hit the same life stages. You know, we maybe get married or we have children or we get mm -hmm. a new job or we retire and yes, every generation shares those life stages, but each generation comes at it or also reinvents that life stage because they're looking through a different lens. And so, you know, the mistake to be made is to wait till we become, you know, or think that we're going to become more alike. And so when I say we really entrenched in these generational personalities, what I find is the events and conditions that shape us mm -hmm. during our formative years, usually those years are between the ages of 12 and 20 really adopt a lens that we take in with us into every single life stage. So as a generation, we don't change, but how we hit that life stage might be brand new or different. And so for me, what's great is this form of diversity. It's alive and well, you know, I've had a lot of people say like, we're still talking about generations. It's like, of course we are because each generation, <laughs> is, you know, like hitting a new life stage. And we also have new generations coming onto the scene and not only in the workplace and leadership, which I know, you know, and Edna is all about, but even as customers, you know, how we relate to our customers as well uh, in different industries. It's a, good one. it's a very good one. And, and I know, well, we didn't really prepare for this question, but I, got, I have to ask because this is so good already, but would you consider your discipline or your expertise in that discipline to be science or art? Uh, both, you know, I think there's okay. a lot of people out there who could go read data and create their own art, whether it be, you know, my art of interpretation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I pride myself in owning my own primary research because I could go read someone else's research and comment on it and hang a shingle up as a generational expert. No knock against those people. Right. I run my own data all the time. And so I'm rooted in data. But then, you know, having done it for so long, I think the art is how do we look at the data? And my niche has always been, you know, there's people out there who study a generation and great generational experts specific to a generation. But my approach has always been what happens when you put these generations together. And so right. that's always been the space that I look at is when you put these generations together. So, for example, we've got a new generation, Gen Z, entering the workplace and the marketplace. Well, that's exciting. But what does that mean for the other generations is sort of the place that I have found. And I find that to be the art. But to your point, I always like to root my findings in true data. Great, great answer. That yeah. was a great answer. 
Um, and, and the way you explained the art of it made all the sense in the world to me, like when you're bringing the two together and then how you read that data that, that's presented. Um, so let's backtrack a little bit. So how did you get into generational consultation and how does leadership play a role in your approach? Um, so how I got into it is I, I graduated a journalist degree and I was working as a reporter. And, you know, someone once said to me, hey, I want to do a story on Gen X. And at the time I was in my 20s and they literally said to me, it's like, you know, those Gen Xers who hang out in coffee shops and complain about bad hair all day. And I had put in like an 80 hour week and I'm looking around. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't have time to complain about anything. And so I really felt that like Gen X, which was a generation that was truly negative stereotyped with the grunge music and sort yeah. of you know, anti-establishment. And I was like, wow, you know, a lot of stereotyping going on about Gen X, which led me to sort of look at, well, what shaped the other generations? Mm -hmm. um, and what got me into it was this notion of when Gen X, my generation, showed up, we were nothing like the baby boom generation. Right. Everyone tried to treat Gen X like the baby boom, and boom, big collisions. And so, you know, it just sort of led me on this journey. And to lead into your second point, leadership is, I think, too often leadership, you know, is looking through their own generational lens. And baby boomers were like, oh, they'll behave mm -hmm. and act just like us. Behaved and acted nothing like them, but not as a form of rebellion, but really because they had different events and conditions that shaped them. And so from the form of leadership, I think, you know, the savvy point is to be able to take off your own generational lens, the events and conditions that shaped another generation. But I'll tell you, Mac, and you and I have talked about this in previous conversations, too often what happens is the conversation goes around who's right, who's wrong, who's better, who's worse. But yet the really savvy leaders are like, you know, no one is better or worse or right or wrong. We're just different. So not only how do I understand these differences, but even more so, how do I leverage them? And I think that's the savvy leadership question. Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, and as you were speaking, you know, I was thinking about my own leadership and my style of leadership. And I like to call myself a chameleon, yeah. um, you know, a Mac of all trades. You know, I throw that in there, but it's because we have to adapt throughout the day because we're dealing with multiple generations and we have to be able to communicate. So I love what you just said right there. You know, it's 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 no one is right or wrong. We're just different. And so we have to approach some things different. Great, great explanation. And so, I think the savvy leadership, to your point, you know, if we're working on an initiative, uh, you know, too often we only have one generation sitting around the table. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's those who have the most tenure. Oh, that's know, good. Your recruitment strategy or a marketing strategy and many of the things you do. And let's say you're targeting the younger generations and then I go meet with them. And there's not one millennial or Gen Zer sitting around the table. Well, how in the heck do you expect, you know, to be able to recruit, retain, or even market to those generations if you don't have that voice at the table? And part of being a chameleon is understanding the need to bring those voices to the table. Yeah, yeah. outstanding, great. So um, my great on Edna speaks of the spirit of excellence as a key ingredient in creating a great leadership culture. So have you noticed any major differences between generations and how they think about and execute towards excellence? Yeah, you know, I think excellence, you know, partly is it's a powerful word. You know, if you say excellent, mm -hmm. every generation can share sort of this notion of it's, you know, to your point, it's at the top of the chart. You know, say like, I want to be excellent. But what it means to be excellent is going to be different things. You know, for a mm -hmm. baby boomer, excellence was really about like, I'm going to get to that corner office. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have my name plate on the door. Right. And maybe for a Gen Xer, it was a little bit more like, 
wow, I got my stuff done, but I was home in time for dinner. And I was also, you know, an excellent dad and an excellent worker. And I think the smart, savvy question that Aunt Edna would appreciate is that, what does excellence mean to each generation? And too often, you know, someone will say like, we demand excellence around here. And they're mm -hmm. looking through one generational lens versus taking the time to be like, what, what does excellence mean to all of us? You know, excellence to a millennial we know is about, you know, helping people and planet. And yeah. so, you know, to a millennial might be like, well, what, how are we helping with the carbon footprint? How are we helping with, you know, DE&I? And so I think, you know, the form of the definition of excellence is going to change throughout all the generations. And I think those are the savvy ones to say is that we're going to accept that excellence does mean something different to each generation. And again, back to where we started, Mac, mm -hmm. not right, wrong, better or worse, but just truly different. So another great answer. And I'm thinking as a leader who, you know, sits around the room, as you just said, with a bunch of people in the same generation, um, and you're trying to define excellence for your organization and taking into consideration what you just said, that excellence means, you know, different things for different generations. As a leader, how would you define excellence as a corporate goal if you have multiple variations of excellence or the opinions of excellence of what that is in an organization? Well, it's a, it's a hard thing to answer because you're wanting to be able to sometimes people want to define excellence, whether it be mm -hmm. their value statement or their mission statement and have it in one succinct sentence. And right. I think give up on that, you know, but rather <laughs> be willing to have that conversation. You know, what does excellence mean to all of us? Yeah. And, you know, look for those commonalities. No, excellence is going to be that I perform at my best. Uh -huh. It's going to be, you know, willing to do that, but it might not mean we're willing to pay the same price for success. Yeah. Should we have to? So I think that's where we find differences. But I think, you know, the goal to find one succinct, you know, mission statement where it means the same to everyone, which is a very boomer sort of trait. Yep. Uh, it's just not that easy. And yeah. I think letting that go is going to be the harder thing, but yet the savvy technique. Yeah. So you you just helped me see a couple of things. One, you you said it before I was going to say it, but it's a boomer perspective. And even Gen Z, I mean, excuse me, Gen X. Um, you know, our generation, we do it as well, trying to define, you know, excellence for an organization with one viewpoint or one lens. But the provocative thing that you just stated is to give up on it. And I don't know how many top leaders today uh, could actually do that and then, uh, you know, assess the progression of the organization if they did do that. That, that's a provocative and, and I respect statement. That you know, I respect them in a lot of ways because I think what that starts to dabble into, in my opinion, Mac, is legacy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've so long for of a culture of excellence, and yeah. so suddenly excellence has always meant something to me. And suddenly I feel that's challenged, and I think a lot of the boomers and you know upper age Xers sort of feel like, well, my legacy might be threatened here, and that's a hard thing to give up. And I really respect that, but I think that savvy thing to realize is that, you know, the goal is to maybe they'll wear your shoes of excellence, but maybe they'll make their own paths. Great metaphor yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Good one. So, and you've been a keynote, keynote speaker for various events. You know, we already talked about uh, a few of them already, but how often are you asked to speak to promoting one generational approach versus another? Um, you know, I would never do it, to be honest with you, because it would go against mm -hmm. my philosophy that it's a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. I will have somebody, you know, ask me a question that's related to 
there's a lot of attention right now on Gen Z, for example. It's a new generation. They're coming into the workplace. What do we need to do to get them on board? There's a war for talent. The path to success, we don't see people valuing the four-year degree like it used to. So mm -hmm. a lot of attention around Gen Z. But, you know, by no means would I ever step up on a stage and be like, out with the old, in with the new, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, that would just be a big mistake. And that's a little bit more about revolution. What I promote, right. is, what I promote is evolution, being that, you know, we can learn a lot from our boomers and Xers and even millennials, but we have to be willing to evolve as Gen Z comes into the place. So to answer your question, I would never get on a stage or ever promote just one generational lens. I think, you know, as I mentioned, my niche has always been what happens when we bring these generations together. Yeah, I love your approach, but you've never had an organization say, hey, you know, we have a direction we want to go in. Can you help these Gen Zs understand what we're trying to say in their language to get them on board? 100%, you know, because okay. again, I would say to a Gen Zer, like, look, you might have a lot of ideas. You might ask why. But the way we do things, there's a lot of reason for it, you know, where it sort of wakes up maybe a boomer or an Xer is like, well, that's the way it's always been done. Yeah. Say why? And if we don't have an answer, I think as Xers and boomers, we got to be willing to listen. Well, maybe we don't need to do it that way. And maybe there is a new way. And so, sure, you know, there's always going to be a new generation that comes up and a new generation that wants to change the world. And it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if we're going to do things the way it's always been done just because of that, which is very not only boomer before boomer, traditionalist thinking. Yeah. Um, give an example. Take the field of law, law firms. You know, the, the path to success is you come in, you're mm -hmm. associate, you put in your time and you work, 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 work so you can become a partner. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, a lot of the younger generation came in and they watched partners never making it home in time for dinner, giving their lives to a firm, maybe mm -hmm. they made more money and then they became partner. And then the younger generations came in and said, well, I want to contribute. I want to work hard, but I don't care if I'm partner. And suddenly mm -hmm. the older generations were like, well, I don't know how to promote you because there's only been one <laughs> here. It's to partnership. And so yeah. you know, fields that are very traditional. And I think that's where you know we have to be willing to say, well, maybe the way it's always been done doesn't work. But because someone doesn't want to become partner doesn't mean that they're not driven doesn't mean that they're a wimp and it doesn't mean for sure that they can't be successful. So I'm gonna throw a curveball at you right here. Uh, okay. four, day, four day work week. Uh, you know, the conversation is picked up about that definitely in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but even previously because Europe had been doing it and, you know, variations. Um, who do you think is driving that? Do you think that's a Gen Z thing? Uh, do you think, you know, the boomers are maybe thinking through it from an expense standpoint, but who do you think is driving that? Um, it's a great question. I think a couple of things. I think, you know, from a generational front, I think you've got boomers that still want to contribute to the workplace, mm -hmm. but maybe don't want to work the same way. So sure. And then you have Gen Z that doesn't believe that work is a place. And I'll dig a little bit more into it, but I think the overriding factor is really, that would be one of the results of the pandemic. And you know, one of the things that I have done is studied how did the pandemic change the generations? And one of the biggest things it did is, you know, work is no longer a place. We can work mm -hmm. anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. For the, you know, for a lot of boomers and extras, Mac, the model was work-life balance. Right. And what that really meant was, you work from nine to five and then, you know, five onward is your life. And the younger generations came along and been like, well, 
that doesn't work because people are still emailing me after five. And to be honest, in the middle of the day, I maybe went and did yoga or I, you know, mm. uploaded tennis shoes to a website where I'm selling stuff. And so this notion of work-life balance where there's work and then there's life didn't work. And mm. so I think what a lot of people have done, what I call is work-life blend. And that is mm, work and yeah. life come together yeah. 24-7. And so I think, you know, we'll see less and less of that nine to five mentality, but it doesn't mean people are working less. It might means we're going into an office. So where there's a place, the four day week, but I don't think we're going to a thing where we only work four days a week and then we're playing, you know, or living the rest. I think it's really more of what we're seeing is that's language for what I call this work-life blend where work and life is 24, seven, seven days a week. And what it's forcing managers to do, Mac, is focus, focus less on a four-day week and so many hours and focus more on performance. And that is, if you're getting the job done, mm -hmm. whether that be five days a week, four days a week, three days a week, that's what matters. And so it's harder for a lot of boomers and Xers who are measured by how many hours you're showing up yep, at the place. Yep. And I think, you know, so the four-day work week, I've been asked a lot about it in the media, and you and I were talking about that. I sort of feel that um, it's a stepping stone to a larger conversation around mm. work-life blend versus work-life balance. Love your answer. Um, and again, you said something that was provocative that caused me to think, and you were saying that it's not that they work less, you know, but that's the perception. Absolutely. That is the perception from a lot of the leaders is that, you know, they're, they want to work four days a week. They're not really doing anything. What the hell are they doing? You know, I don't know where they are half the time. Uh, you know, I have people that want to work from London and, and so on and so forth. Uh, how can I keep tabs on them if it's, you know, a, a nine hour, eight hour time difference, those kind of things. But the perception is that that younger generation wants to work less. And what you're saying is it's not that they want to work less. They just want to work differently. hundred percent. And I've had a lot of conversations with, they want to work less. And I'll be like, well, how's your performance? Are you getting the job done? And they almost feel stumped. They're like, oh, well, yeah, but I don't see them. <laughs> you know, and, and this is no knock on a lot of baby boomers. You know, the time you got to the office was 10 minutes before your boss. And the yeah, time yeah. you left the office was 10 minutes after your boss. Yeah. And so, like, you know, life, you know, work life was really based on, do I see you? You know, and again, it's one of the things the pandemic sort of disappeared. Everyone thought like, oh, we won't be as productive. We actually found a lot of productivity in a lot of the industries go up because I got to work where I wanted and how I wanted. And so in those situations, you know, I, I can't fault a lot of baby boomers, especially because they were always sort of, you know, critiqued or their feedback and even their compensation was based on how hard you're working, which was based on how often do I see you? Yeah. yeah, that's just gone away. I like it. Great answer. And your expertise is just showing and how you're answering it. So uh, I'm getting excited already. So who has been the major influence in your own approach to leadership? And was there a significant generational gap between the two of you? Um, yeah, you know, I would say my earliest um, aha was with a baby boomer, Lynn Lancaster. And she and mm -hmm. I, you know, partnered forever and, you know, she was raised in that boomer mentality based on tenure. You're in a position three years and then you go higher. And I was sort of like, yeah, but if I'm mastering these skills, why am I putting in three years? Yeah, yeah. So it changed that dialogue. It was like, well, if I don't see you, you're not working. I'm like, well, the job's getting done. 
you know, <laughs> even even mechanisms math like feedback, where it's like we will give you that once a year. We'll sit down and we'll go through everything. We'll give you a score, and then we'll decide, you know, what you're going to be paid and all of that. And I was just like, wait a minute, we're talking about something now. It's something I did last June. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, you've been holding this for so long. And it even created skepticism, like, wait, I could have been working on this. So I think a lot of these conversations where I was quick to, you know, and she was sort of trying to figure out who's right, wrong, better or worse. We just realized, wow, we're coming at this from different places. You know, and on top of it, I really had to appreciate what it was like for a boomer woman Mm -hmm. compared to maybe an extra for sure millennial and Gen Z woman to fight for a place at the table. And so she not only taught me a lot about generational differences, but even gender differences that um, you know I've seen play out throughout the years. Oh, great. And, and, I, and I like the, the fact that it was a, a female that you mentioned yeah. there. So, yeah, you know, female and a boomer. So, you know, you had the sex difference, generational difference, but still had some impact on you. All right, sir, so here is my uh, bonus question. Uh, it's my trademark question that I ask everyone that comes on to this show. Uh-oh. So as a leader in today's environment, 2023, what are one or two things that pisses you off that you <laughs> wish that you could change as a leader? Wow. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. I think, um, so what pisses me off? Is that what you said? What pisses you off, David? What kind of shit just gets under your skin? Um, you know, I would say on the generational front, you know, I will say the Mm. professional front, what I will say is the focus group of one, you know, what I mean by that is this person will say like, Gen Zers don't do this or that. And I'll be like, Mm. well, that's what you think, you know? And so I think, I don't like when someone will speak for a whole generation and think Mm. they're representing themselves, they're representing their generation when really what they're representing in themselves, you know, it happens to me all the time. When I'm asked to be part of a panel and, you know, it happens all the time. A company will think they're really savvy because they'll put a boomer, an Xer, a millennial and Gen Z and have me moderate it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those people are not representing a generation. They're speaking to themselves. And I spend the whole panel correcting them because I look at the data. So it really pisses me off. You know, you're getting under my skin now, Mac. <laughs> it's when, you know, the focus group of one is when people don't speak to generational data. So when I say to you, Gen Zers this or millennials that or Xers or boomers that, I'm speaking to data. And yeah. I might not even agree with it as an extra myself, but I'll speak to the data. So that gets under my skin would mm-hmm. be the focus group of one. Um, I think, you know, on the personal front, you know, I, I, I think this sort of conversation around, you know, work-life balance uh-huh. uh, bothers me because there's too much people trying to go for fairness. What I did for one generation, I got to do for another. And if you try to play the fairness game, you will never win, you know, because what one generation, one person thinks is fair, another one won't. And so mm-hmm. I'm really about focusing on performance and if you're getting the job done. Now, what will piss me off is a lot of people, especially baby boomers, in order for them to go ahead, they to get ahead, they rather had to sort of exceed expectations, exceed right. expectations. So then you'll have someone younger do the job, but they'll get knocked. And I'll be like, but they're doing the job. And they're like, yeah, but they didn't go above and beyond. I go, well, if you wanted them to go above and beyond, then that should have been part of, you know, the job description. And I think <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone's expecting someone to go above and beyond for a company. 
And that's coming from people who came from a time where, you know, there was something as a job contract. Yeah. yeah, You know, all these people, you know, especially we're hearing all these tech layoffs right now. We expect these people to go above and beyond, yet, you know, they show up to work the next day and suddenly they're out of a job. What are we Mm -hmm. doing to show loyalty to them? Right. So I think oftentimes, you know, we sort of say, we want you to do this and we're going to judge you on this. But in our minds, we have the bar set a little bit higher where I think, you know, that's not fair. We should really then say, what do we Mm -hmm. really expect of you in terms of, you know, going above and beyond? Because too often the older generations, it was just sort of this unwritten rule that if we say this, what we really mean is come in here. And so those would be a couple of things. Um, I'm sure I could think of a lot more things that piss me off, but probably not appropriate. For the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got no personal here, Mac. <laughs> I love it, man. This is this is what this show's about. Let's get real. Let's get yeah. real about it. Um, you gave me an idea uh, for a newsletter yeah. as you were speaking. You really did. I'll talk to you when we're off air. But uh, yeah, I love your passion and the way it's just bouncing off. And you know, my mind is is pinging right now i'm like okay this is some good stuff man i can tell you you actually mean what the hell you say you know you it's genuine you know and one of the reasons you know i wanted to come onto this podcast is what i love about aunt edna is that Mm -hmm. aunt edna stood for certain values that transcend all the generations and right of them you know take a different tweak on it but you know Aunt Edna, from what I understand, and mm-hmm. I never had, you know, you know, the honor of knowing her, was that Aunt Edna would have really valued somebody going for work-life blend versus work-life balance. Yep. She would have honored, you know, the modern-day dad that wants to be home for dinner and wouldn't have called him a wimp because yep. he didn't stay till eight o'clock till after the, you know, the boss went home. And so I think, you know, one thing we can really learn from Aunt Edna is. Core values can, you know, really carry on for each generation, but they might have a little different meaning. And that's what I think, you know, from what I understand of Aunt Edna, she would really not only appreciate, but truly celebrate. Well, I appreciate that. And you're, you're exactly right, um, you know, your assessment of her. So I have truly enjoyed our conversation. This has been a really good discussion. I know we'll, we'll have many more, you know, in years to come. But, um, you know, I want to turn it over to you for any last minute words, anything you want to say to the watchers, listeners out there uh, about, you know, who you are, what you have going on. I would say, you know, you know, on a personal front, I'm really um, LinkedIn is a great client of mine and I'm partnering with them to put a lot more content out there. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always looking to update there on new data, new research, new thoughts, and please, you know, engage in the conversation. Um, But, you know, one thing I'm really passionate about, and I put something out there recently, is, you know, we have to be open to new paths to success. I think the path to success used to be, you know, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a job, you move forward, you know. And we have a generation right now where 75% of Gen Z feel there's other ways of getting a good education than going to Mm -hmm. college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of companies, and you and I talked about this offline, are dropping their requirement, say, for a four-year degree. And that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. And we're starting on paper with that. But let's look at the hearts and minds of people. You know, if you met somebody and you found out they didn't go to college, do you really think the same thing of them as the person who did go to college? And I'll challenge nine out of ten times we don't. We yeah. assume that, you know, they took a shortcut 
or you know they're not as hard of a worker. And I'm here to say we've got to be open to new paths to success. There's new ways of learning. There's new ways mm-hmm. of succeeding. And it's not wrong, not right, wrong, better or worse. But if we're locked into this, you know, you go to high school, you go to college, you maybe go to graduate school, and you get a degree. Even Aunt Edna would say, I think, you know, we're 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 limiting ourselves. And we, uh... so I really want us to open ourselves up to many paths. And while I applaud those companies who have changed it on paper and changed their policy, that's great. Where I'm really seeing the struggle, Mac, is people aren't changing their hearts and minds about those people. And if we're really going to embrace the future workforce, and not only that, win the war for talent, then mm-hmm. what we're going to have to do is be open to other paths for success and that all people can bring something to the table. Great closing statements, and I agree with everything that you just said. I really do. And the world has changed. I mean, information is readily available. You know, not like when when you and I were coming up, you know, and I had the Michael Jackson beat it jacket on and, you know, uh, it, it was school. You had to go to school to get certain levels of education, right? Information is everywhere and in multiple facets. And so I agree with you 100% that we do have to adapt not only how we think about bringing people in, but how we think about the people when they are in. So uh, great closing statements, man. Like and am it. I not wrong? That is definitely part of Aunt Edna's legacy. Yeah. When I was reading everything, that would be her legacy is that, you know, we've got to continually be willing to change our mind, be yep. open yep. to it and evolve. And because, you know, that would be living her legacy. So in the spirit of this podcast, I think we owe it to ourselves to stop right, wrong, better or worse. Mm-hmm. Embrace differences, whether that be not only generations, but for sure race, ethnicity, gender and all the above. So. Yep. yep. Outstanding. So for everyone watching and listening right now, again, don't hit the stop button. We're going to put David's information up on the screen, his wonderful picture there as well. Reach out to him. Um, you know, he's on the speaking engagement tour all over the world. You know, um, he coaches uh, corporations, executives, um, you know, so many other things. He can appear and just give opinions on, uh, you know, things that are going on in the world that re- that relates to generational issues. So make sure you reach out to David. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed my conversations I've had with him in the last couple of months or so. So again, David, I appreciate you joining the show. For all the listeners out there, make sure you uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, download the podcast on every single major platform that is available out there. And I appreciate you guys, and we will talk to you soon. And with that, may your week be excellent. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. And I want to thank David Stillman for being a special guest on today's show. David has multiple books available. He speaks internationally and is a consultant for many organizations. His information is up on the screen right now. So utilize his expertise to help you see things in a different manner. And also, I want to remind you that my book is available right now called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership. You can find it wherever books are sold. And lastly, subscribe to this channel so that you can hear from other great leaders from all around the world on how they can help you in your own leadership journey. And with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent and God bless.